Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. 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 An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space, space. space to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped right, right. boat neck sweaters. sweaters. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha, through October 13th. The Container Store, where space comes from. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. It is the post-national championship officially in the off-season installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. He is J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I am Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. Been a little bit longer than uh, normal since we were away. Wanted to let the game kind of soak in and the immediate ramifications of that. But first off, JC, this is a special week and it does relate to football, not necessarily in the context that we normally talk. Do you know what I'm speaking of? I am. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to finding out. <laughs> I love when I have you baffled and perhaps somewhat even frightened. Yeah. Uh, this is the, this week is the 20 year anniversary of one of the great two and a half star movies of all time. And that's varsity blues. Mm. The story of a small town, Texas high school led by a deified head coach trying to lead 17 year old schoolboys making sure that Bud Kilmer and his West Canaan Coyotes win their 23rd division title in his 35th year as head coach. And let me just say, you and I both have an appreciation for great movies. This is not a great movie, but, but it is a movie that you can't look away. It it is the accident on the side of the road. And I'll tell you just real quickly what I'm talking about. Uh, if Shawshank Redemption right now was on cable and you were going through the dial, would you stop and watch? Absolutely. Goodfellas. Oh, no question. Scarface. Ah, right there. Jaws. Maybe. Okay. Jaws for me is one of those. I I've seen it a hundred times. I got to see it a hundred more, but all these movies, you know, some people call them guy movies. I don't know. I think there's a lot of females out there that, that also like those movies and and can't look away. If you don't Uh, like Jaws and you're with me and you're a female, you're not going to be with me very long. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Very, very well said. Very well said. I feel the same exact way. So, but these are, those are like, you know, those are four star movies. And then there are certain two-star movies, and I might even, because of Bud Kilmer's performance uh, by one John Voight, I'm giving it two and a half, uh, and because of, of, of Billy Bob, uh, played by the late Ron Lester, and, and Billy Bob and his pig, um, that, that upped it to two and a half stars. But, but there are certain movies that I'll just tell you right now, I know they're not great, but when they're on, I can't look away, and I'll give you two of them, Roadhouse with Patrick Swayze. Playing the cooler, making sure things don't get out of hand. I thought you'd be bigger. Pain don't hurt. That kind of stuff, for whatever reason, not a great movie. Probably was written on a napkin in 25 minutes, but I'm going to watch it. And Varsity Blues is another one. And I just thought it was interesting 
20 year anniversary. There's a lot of football movies out there. I'm not going to tell you this is one of the better ones. I am going to tell you it is a, a weird obsession. Uh, James Vanderbeek plays the uh, quarterback, Mox, who, by the way, Mox, remember now, he's the backup. Lance Harbor is the starter, played by the late Paul Walker, who was in the Fast and Furious movies, which I never got into. But, uh, but in, in today's day and age, Mox would have been in the transfer portal. He would have been in the transfer portal because he wasn't getting PT and he would have, he would have left Bud Kilmer and found himself another place to play. But in those days, Mox would sit on the bench and read books and wait for his chance. And of course, who could forget the infamous line? And I'll go ahead and get my, my God awful James Vanderbeek, Texas accent in there when he's telling his dad, who's so disappointed that his dad just wants him to be more committed to football. Dad, West Canaan football might have been your life, but I don't want your life. That kind of acting you just don't find in your average four-star movie. So there you go, 20-year anniversary, Varsity Blues. The budget was $16 million. It grossed $52 million. It happened in 1999, and by golly, we're better people. We're a better country for it. Oh, yeah, two things. I don't want your life. That's a <laughs> that's a classic line. And lots of gifts and stuff like that. Number two, um, interesting story. Uh, I lived in Nashville. I think it was 2013, and I guess the month of May. And um, a friend of mine, a lady friend of mine, and I, uh, she was going to a wedding out there. It was weird because the the wedding was at Maggiano's Little Italy in Las Vegas, and mm. at the time. You know, they—I don't think they had one in Nashville, and I, I didn't—and they didn't have one in Greenville, where, where I was from. I didn't even know it was a chain. I just thought, oh, there's this place out there. Somebody had this beside the point. Um, Did you buy one, get one free on your pasta? No, I usually uh, they give you a take-home bag. I didn't even eat. It was the, it was the day of the Kentucky Derby too, and uh, it was at twenty-four-seven Sports. And right after we had started Crystal Ball, and I, my guy Steve Wiltfong. Um, you know, he's kind of measured in his crystal ball predictions, and so he bats at a high percentage. So uh, I nicknamed him the Oracle. And uh, I was sitting there having a glass of wine before the Kentucky Derby, and I was like, hey, Oracle, who should I pick? Because I don't know anything about horse racing. And he gave me a, a, the winner for the Kentucky Derby. I won like – I put 200 bucks down, and I won like 1200 and then lost half of that cash in the limo later. But the point of all this is, Mike, that um, – we flew from Nashville to L.A. on American Airlines and then had to bounce back from L.A. to Vegas, had a connecting flight because it was, you know, not that expensive and it's 50 minutes from L.A. to Vegas. Walking on the plane, who do I see sitting there about to go gamble his behind off but Coach Bud Kilmer, Mr. John, yes. Mr. John Voigt. And I snapped a picture, and it's blurry. Um, I'll tweet it. I'll tweet that today, actually. Uh, it's got the girl who I hadn't talked to in years. She ended up being a terrible person. <laughs> she probably says the same thing about me. But, um, you know, it has a picture of her butt on it, but she's, she, you know, it's, it's from behind, but I'm not taking a picture of her on it. I was snap, trying to be inconspicuous and snap the picture of John Voigt. Um, and, yeah, that's going on the old Twitter account today. So, Oh, um, heck yeah. Now, was yeah, he wearing the West Canaan jacket? No, but he was he was he was dressed more like Bud Kilmer than John Voigt, if I remember correctly. 
Um, and so, anyway, I should have looked at him. I don't want your life or something. I want your life, Coach Kilmer. Yeah, he was. I don't uh, want to win that 23rd division title. I'll just say, I'll say one more quick story on it, and then I, I know we need to move on because there's probably uh, a generation of people of the thousands that listen to this podcast every week that are like, Varsity what? Varsity Blues. Okay, Varsity Blues. <laughs> Not a great football movie. Came out, by the way, I think four or five years before Friday Night Lights, which, of course, spawned a television show and got rave reviews. Yeah. That was a Peter Berg movie. Peter Berg, yeah. And, and, and uh, Any Given Sunday was kind of in that era, too, which is yeah, awesome. Yeah. And I actually, I, I might be in the minority of this. I, I thought On Any Given Sunday was terrible. I thought it was like wretched Oliver Stone over the top. Like, Oliver, please go back to Platoon, Wall Street, JFK days because you've lost a lot of heat on your fastball. Um, but, but Friday night lights is a great movie, of course, based on the book, which I read and I'm sure you did too. And, and it's, it's a fascinating look at, at Texas football. Well, from what I understand, Texas high school football, this movie varsity blues, which is much more of just a Hollywood version, sensationalized version of high school football in Texas. When this movie came out, the people that were going to put Friday night lights out felt like, well, we can't just put this out now they just made a high school movie about high school football in Texas. So it delayed the launch of Friday Night Lights. That was explained to me yesterday, and I'd never heard that story before. I thought that was pretty fascinating. But I'll just say one other story. I don't know how I got – when I was doing a, a talk show here in Atlanta, a sports talk show, but you know how that is. When you do a sports talk show, you drift into other categories, and movies and television is very often one of those categories. And somehow Varsity Blues came up then. And, of course, I, immediately I have to drift into my god-awful uh, uh, te- Texas accent and give the, you know, I don't want your life quote. But then I started thinking of my other favorite quote in that movie, and it's by Billy Bob, played by an actor named Ron Lester. And, you know, they're, they're at the strip club or the gentleman's club. And, of course, they see their uh, school teacher, one of their teachers, actually on stage. Uh, which I, you know, I guess that could happen. Hey, I mean, you know, teacher salaries being what they are, sometimes you got to do something else to make a living. And Billy Bob, who even in the movie was probably over 400 pounds at, mm-hmm. at a, at a stocky five foot 10, uh, he kept saying they were, they were rating the, the teacher's dance and he kept going, I give it a 10, a 10, 10. He didn't say 10, a 10. So we started talking about this and like the phone lines are lighting up and people are texting us and they love that. And it was, it got me to thinking, and this is, this is the magic of the internet. You could just start off on one little thing. And before you know it, hours later, you know, the history of Billy Bob in his real life. Billy Bob was played by an actor named Ron Lester. Ron Lester happens to be from Kennesaw, Georgia, graduated from North Cobb High School. Okay, you and I living in Atlanta, mm-hmm. that right away, that piqued my interest. Because yeah, we even had people texting us on the show. You're like, yeah, I went to high school with that dude. Like, wow. What? Yeah, so so then I started looking up his bio, and, and it's kind of sad. Like, we're making jokes about him. Uh, and then I read this. Ron Lester gained celebrity status at an early age in his career. But his draw in Hollywood scenes seemed to be based on his physical characteristic, his weight. Obese since five years old, by the time he was 30, Ron weighed 508 pounds. Now, Billy Bob in that movie, like I said, he was definitely more than four bills. Uh, So, you know, he wanted to do something about it. He got the, the gastro, the gastric bypass surgery, and he lost 348 pounds. So old Billy Bob 
went from like, you know, starting left guard size to he might have even snuck into a strong safety by the time he after the, the gastric bypass. The sad thing is, after that, there were some complications. He had 14 plastic surgeries to tighten and remove excess skin. Uh, he eventually had problems with his liver, and in 2016, he died in Dallas, Texas, of liver and kidney failure. So uh, it's kind of, a, I hate to say a bummer note, but I mean, it, it is interesting because a lot of people still say, whatever happened to Billy Bob? Unfortunately, Ron Lester, the actor that played Billy Bob, is dead. Uh, and of course the actor that played the starting quarterback, uh, Walker, Paul Walker is dead Dead. and, and everybody else is alive, including, uh, you know, John Boyd, uh, one of the more underrated actors in our time. But anyway, that is uh, a, a little thing on varsity blues. And some would say varsity blues was slightly more entertaining than this year's season of college football, which again, we love it. We're not going anywhere. Like we are, we are loyalist no matter what kind of dud you put up as a college football season uh we're still watching every saturday we're still guys like you and me are working it every saturday in one context or another but it was not a great college football season for a number of different reasons and what we really wanted and what college football desperately needed was a slam dunk one for the ages national championship game and what we got was a four touchdown blowout. Now I'll just say one thing and then I'll get your thoughts and we can dive deeper into the game itself. Although there's not a ton to dive deep in. Uh, I think the only saving grace from having after two blowout semifinals, after having a season devoid of a lot of big time upsets, after having a season where it was clearly, as you and I said months ago, we're living in an Alabama Clemson world. And all of that being said, the one saving grace was that Clemson won the game because if Alabama won that game by four touchdowns and made it six national titles in a decade, can you imagine what the rhetoric would be this off season going into next year where two is back and a lot of the, I know they lost a lot of guys early to the NFL. Bama has guys lose a lead for the NFL early all the time. You still got a ridiculously good wide receiving core running backs, Heisman trophy, excuse me, Heisman trophy candidate quarterback, Alabama's not going anywhere. The fact that Clemson has made this at least a two dog race for the time being, I think that was the one, the one thing that college football can, can kind of hang their hat on a little bit after a less than stellar season. Your thoughts overall. Um, yeah, I, I think so. I, I think that, you know, Clemson's now won two out of the last three. Uh, I think that what we saw on Monday on the, on the surface, uh, you know, without kind of getting into some of the talk and, you know, Alabama was in flux and all this other stuff before the game was, you know, recruiting matters. And I have gone through a lot of the, you know, star ratings and cause I did it for 10 and a half years. And I've, I think it, it's worth a general discussion about hits and misses, and and if it's a if it's a layup when you recruit, you know five star talent that you are going to win a national championship, and and I think that the perception is that you do um, because of Alabama's dominance in recruiting, because of the fact they they evaluate well, because Ohio State with Urban Meyer had you know top four classes and won championships, and you know Clemson's actual team ranking in recruiting hadn't I think it's been 6 has been the highest one 
which kind of tells you something about the team rankings don't always equal the top 25 or, or the playoffs or whatever. Um, but they have definitely uh, recruited well. And, and, and so on the other side of that, Mike, is that sometimes five-star guys work out in a big way. And we saw it with Tua Tagovailoa and the receivers for Alabama last year with the national championship, Jake Fromm last year. And we saw it with Trevor Lawrence and probably a guy that doesn't get mentioned that was great down the second half of the season and in the game made a huge difference for the Tigers was Justin Ross, um, who was a five-star prospect out of Phoenix City, Alabama. Mike, he used to live in Columbus, GA, brother. I know it way right across the old Chattahoochee. You've had some big times in Phoenix City, I'm sure. If those walls could talk. Okay, so this kid, you know, Clemson got in on him early. He really liked Clemson. Dabo, of course, is from the state of Alabama. They've got a lot of ties to to Alabama, and and they'll at times get guys out of that state. Well, it got to be kind of down the stretch. Bama's coming off a national championship. They beat Clemson 24-6 in the Sugar Bowl, and, and everybody's like, well, he's going to Bama. Well, then the stronger, longer theory, um, quit chuckling, folks, uh, came into play in recruiting, and Clemson ended up getting the guy. And you're telling me that that, that recruiting decision didn't directly impact that game? No question. He, mean, was, he was the most explosive player on the field, that, you know, not playing the quarterback spot, which is a different kind of explosiveness. Yeah. He was unguardable. Yeah, you, I mean, yeah, they couldn't touch And then you throw in T. Higgins. Uh, to the mix and uh, you know for good measure he wasn't a five-star but Travis Etienne now now let's look at this Mike Trevor Lawrence is from Cartersville Georgia I mean you mentioned North Cobb High School if you keep going up 75 you get to Cartersville the Purple Hurricane I think is their mascot nice okay so you're telling me Georgia and and, and you know Tennessee recruits Northwest Georgia heavily too because it's near Knoxville tell me Georgia and Tennessee wouldn't have loved to have had Trevor Lawrence as good as Jake Fromm has been. No question. And traditionally, before the rise of Clemson, that kid probably would have gone to one of those places or gone to Alabama, you know? Look at T. Higgins and Amari Rogers. They are from Knoxville, Tennessee. T. Higgins is from Oak Ridge. Amari Rogers is T. Martin, who we'll talk about later. That's his son. He's T. Martin's kid. Both from Knoxville. Now, 10, 15 years ago, where would those kids have gone? Good old Rocky Top. But no, they're at Clemson. Justin Ross, an Alabama kid from Phoenix City. You know, if, if, if I had to, you know, it's like almost like playing roulette where, you know, there's 99 black odds available and then and I'm probably not explaining roulette correctly, and then one even red. <laughs> uh, you, you tell me when this kid comes on the radar, where is he going? It's Alabama or Auburn, 99 out of 100. But no, he goes to Clemson. Travis Etienne is from the state of Louisiana and a guy that LSU really wanted. you telling me they couldn't use him? Where is he at? He's at Clemson. So as much as I like to dive into like the granular aspects of recruiting and sort of look at the percentages and, you know, I, I, I know enough about it to know that it's just not like a layup if you recruit at a high level. Um, statistically, on paper, 
that, that you're going to necessarily do well. I mean, numerically, Florida State's out-recruited Clemson every single cycle but 2018 since they won the 2013 title, and they've taken a nosedive and got beat 59-10 to 10 by the Tigers this year. Tennessee is in the first, you know, they've had four winning seasons in 11. Butch Jones had two, not top 10, top five recruiting classes for the Vols. Okay, top five. Not top 10, top five. All right? Uh, LSU recruits in the top five every year. Nine and three, ten and four, or nine and four, ten and three football team. Okay? Jess, it's happening. Whoa, Tina, what are you doing in my car? Space is here now. No closet will be left behind. Did you say closet? Yes, the Container Store custom closets are up to 25% off. It doesn't matter the size or shape. Space is coming to them all. You're not serious. Space isn't a joke, Jess. How long do we have? Through October 13th. All right, buckle up. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha. The Container Store, where space comes from. Jess, it's happening. Whoa, Tina, what are you doing in my car? Space is here now. No closet will be left behind. Did you say closet? Yes, the Container Store Custom Closets are up to 25% off. It doesn't matter the size or shape. Space is coming to them all. You're not serious. Space isn't a joke, Jess. How long do we have? Through October 13th. All right, buckle up. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha. The Container Store, where space comes from. So it doesn't mean automatically that you're going to be Alabama if you recruit at that high level. But I will, on the other hand, say this. When you hit on guys like that, and a lot of times, Mike, you know, people want to know, you know, what's the straw that stirs the drink with Alabama's offensive improvement? Well, it's quarterback first and foremost. And you got a kid out of Texas that people wanted with Hurts, and he, he's, of course, leaving down. Then Tagovailoa is from Hawaii. You know, you think he probably would have ended up at Oregon or Southern Cal. And then they've gone to South Florida and signed the fastest receiver, Calvin Ridley, Jerry Judy, uh, and, and gotten playmakers that normally would be at Miami, Florida, Florida State. So, you know, I, I think that when you look at recruiting from that aspect of it, people want to know how Clemson won by 28 points. Well, they had better players on that night. Are they better top to bottom talent-wise? No. But when you've got a quarterback throwing like that, when you've got two fast trees at wide receiver and then Hunter Renfro, who's kind of impossible to cover, an Amari Rodgers and a big back at ATN that, you know, those guys 10 years ago would normally be at uh, Georgia, LSU, Tennessee, but they're not. And uh, I think that is the vacuum that Bama's created by taking talent from other places. Uh, and I think you can see that same theory in play with Clemson. So, you know, people want to know, well, how does five star, you know, how, how do, does my program get all these five stars and, you know, they don't win and you know, Clemson gets all these five stars and they win? Well, they get the right ones. And they got absolutely the right ones with Higgins, Ross, and Lawrence. ETN was an underrated four star, which again goes on the other side of that theory. But that game, Monday night, why Clemson was able to, that's about recruiting. That's about yeah. talent. And, and, and Clemson, Brent Venables, and then Jeff Scott and Tony Elliott, you know, just sticking with their scheme. They've had the same scheme now for almost 10 years, since 2011, and just playing Clemson football. And unfortunately for Bama, they, did, they didn't play like Bama. Um, and the Tigers rose up on them.
you know, there's nothing more valuable for a head coach than a stud coordinator who wants to stay a coordinator. I mean, Brent Venables could have been a coach 10 times over by now. He loves his role. They pay him over $2 million a year as a DC, which is more than several FBS head coaches. So they struck gold, Brent Venables. Um, you know, he could be like the, the modern day Bud Foster, uh, but even at a, at a greater level. Cause if you remember Bud Foster, another guy at Virginia tech that years ago probably could have taken some head coaching jobs, but for whatever reason, some guys just like their role as coordinator. Yeah, there, there's no doubt. The grass is not always greener. And if you're making over $2 million a year as a coordinator and you got it rolling, uh, your head coach isn't getting fired anytime soon. You're not getting fired anytime soon. you got ridiculous job security as opposed to taking a head coaching job or maybe you make a million more a year and you're fired in four years. We've seen that happen a number of times. So that's that was one of my thoughts. I'm mad at myself because I sat and talked about this game for three hours. Uh, on Sirius XM, the day of the game, we did a one to four show. And I mean, literally, this is all we talked about. And we talked about it with guests and we talked about it uh, with our producers and we broke it down and this and that. And I came into the show, I came into the building thinking Clemson plus five and a half, but Alabama wins the game. Because if it's a close game, how are you going to go against Alabama? And then after hour number one, I was like, you know, I think actually Clemson might do more than cover. I think they could, they think they could win this game. And by hour number three, when we had to do our fearless and bold predictions, you could hear it in my voice. I really was not sold on what I was saying anymore. I, I, I thought my way out of predicting Alabama would win, but I still had to stay with it and picked a Clemson cover. And I definitely thought that the game would go over to me. That would have been the easiest uh, Vegas bet. Because uh, as I've said all year long, elite defenses, which is what both those teams have, although Alabama not as elite as they normally are, elite offenses in college football, unlike the NFL, uh, will usually reign supreme. So I was looking at a high-scoring game, and I thought eventually Alabama would you know, win by a field goal, whatever. And obviously Clemson – and look, is Clemson four touchdowns better? No. It's, it's, we've seen this happen in Super Bowls where a game just gets away from you. And on that given day, everything that Clemson, every button they pushed was right. Every button that Alabama pushed was wrong. The, the, the fake field goal was just, that's as panicky. And I hate to use that word about the best college football coach in our lifetime, maybe anybody's lifetime, but it, it, it it's, it reeked of a little bit of desperation. Um, but nevertheless, if they played that game 10 times, it's not going to be a four touchdown game again. In my estimation, could Clemson win it six times, seven times? Yeah, they could. They're that good. They're that good. And I knew that going in because of the reasons you spoke of, because of the recruiting, because of the players. I mean, how many times have you and I talked about this on this podcast? Trevor Lawrence would be the number one overall pick right now in the upcoming draft. I mean, people right now are, are projecting Dwayne Haskins as a top 10 pick. Dwayne Haskins is not in the same hemisphere as Trevor Lawrence as a prospect. Trevor Lawrence has scouts drooling now. He's got to wait two more years before he is the number one overall pick in the draft, which is what he will be. I've been saying Travis Etienne is a, is a legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate, even though he won't be invited to New York. I've been saying that for two months. The Justin Ross kid, haven't seen enough of him up close to know he's that good 
but I've heard all the hype and goodness gracious. Now we all know just how good he is. And then it's Venables. We all know how good the D line was. So shame on me for not pulling the trigger and being one of the few that could have predicted this upset to happen, uh, but didn't have the stones to do it when it came right down to it. Here's the other thing I would say on why Clemson winning would be better overall than Alabama winning. Alabama is considered by most a program that is just destined to be great. People forget the Mike Shula, the Mike DeBose. They forget those eras real quick. Uh, They forget Bill Curry. It's just like it's selective amnesia. And we just assume Alabama went straight from Bear Bryant to a Gene Stallings national title to a Nick Saban dominance of the sport. But there's, there's some gray area in between where Alabama was not exactly dominating. They did show they could be human. They did show they could be, dare I say, mediocre. But obviously, Nick's turned that around. But people just assume that's that's the way it's meant to be, right? I mean, North Carolina and Duke should always be great in college basketball. Alabama should always be great in college football. I don't think Clemson has ever really had that distinction. With all due respect to the Clemson fan base, there might be a few out there that want to say that now, but come on. Clemson gives hope to other programs because you just said it. How are they getting all these five-star kids? Well, they're picking the right ones. Okay, well, most schools don't even get to pick the right ones. You know what they get to pick? They get to pick the best three-star or a few four-star and maybe one or two five-star if they're lucky, if they're that good of a program. Clemson, what Dabo has done, and we've mentioned the story a number of times, you and I both spending time in South Carolina, watched this ascension before our eyes. Remember when he was named the interim coach, didn't take it that seriously. I used to interview him when he was the wide receivers coach at Clemson because they wouldn't allow Tommy Bowden or the coordinators to go on my show. So they just said, yeah, you want Dabble? Okay. Who Dabble? What? Swinney? Sweeney? Okay. Yeah, fine. Well, 10 minutes. Great. Then he has a, a rocky uh, start to his career. Maybe the low point was the, the loss to USF in the bowl game. Gives up 70 to West Virginia in another bowl game. Loses to in-state rival South Carolina five consecutive times. All these things could have gotten him fired, really. But he manages to hang on and slowly but surely starts building a national power. And I think what a lot of people, this at least gives hope. And look, I think Dabo is going to start getting a lot more. I think for a while there, Dabo has been kind of looked at as almost a caricature of, I don't know, just almost like a reality show type coach. He's got this magnetic personality. He's a great interview. And he, I think some people, if you don't like or hate Clemson, if you don't have any dog in the fight, you kind of gravitate toward him and, and kind of, you think he's kind of good for the sport, but maybe you didn't take him that seriously as a guy that was going to build a national power. That's what he has done, and that gives hope to those tier two programs that we're always talking about, right? The Michigans, the Floridas, the Texases, the Southern Cows, all these programs that for whatever reason have not been able to get over the hump now in a while. If Dabo Sweeney can do it, for that matter, a tier three program that has, hasn't been a power in 30 years or maybe never a power. For whatever reason, they struck gold with Dabo, and maybe those programs can look at it and say, okay, Alabama, we're never going to be Alabama because they're ordained to be a national power. 
But if Dabo Sweeney could turn Clemson into a program that was an onside kick away from winning three national titles over Alabama instead of two, then why can't we do it? Well, and yeah, it, it's about belief um, and investment in their program. And, and here's the thing. All right, so about the Clemson job. It, 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 and when you talk about the tiers of college football or, or whatever, and I think that um, there's two ways to look at tiers, Mike. You, you look at tiers with, you know, how programs are performing and functioning right now. Um, and I think there's, you know, Alabama, Clemson. And then after that, you have the Georgias and Ohio States. And Ohio State's, of course, uh, transitioning coaching-wise this year. Um, then behind that, you got your Michigans and LSUs of the world and, you know, some programs like Florida who had good years, but we'll see if they come back. Um, and Florida State and, you know, all these programs with the P word, with potential. And then you have the overachievers like your Washington States and TCUs and, you know, programs like that. And then here's the deal. Clemson won a national championship in 1981. Prior to that, they did have some tradition John Heisman coached there way back in the day. They had a coach, Frank Howard, um, that really won some ACC championships. And and in the Atlantic Coast Conference, you know, Clemson was, you know, the best football program in that league for for years. Um, They won the national title under Danny Ford in 1981, which he also, like Dabo Sweeney, Alabama graduate, um, was not even a coordinator before he ascended into the head coaching job uh, and quickly built them into a power. He leaves in 89. I think a lot of folks at Clemson sort of felt like they'd have kept on rolling. Um, and then they start the journey into the wilderness. Ken Hatfield, three years, didn't work out. Shame on you, Clemson, he said out of the door. They went and got a Tommy West, you know, good dude, Clemson guy. Uh, five years, the program bottoms out at three and eight and ninety eight. Well, then they go hire the the national, the, the hot up and comer with a name in Tommy Bowden, and still could never win a division in the ACC. Uh, so they get rid of Bowden, and then they promote Dabo, and he sort of had the vision uh, to get them back. Not only out of the wilderness, but, you know, to the top of college football. But what you heard during all that time, though, Mike, even Steve Spurrier said this at one point, is the Clemson job was not a job that you looked at and you went, nah, you know, they hadn't won in a while, or only Danny Ford could win there. It was a job a lot of coaches covet. And, and here's why, and here's how coaches think about things. Clemson's in the ACC. Uh, I think the ACC has gotten better at football. I wasn't we, me and you either one were buying the hype on that league coming into the year. Uh, I thought it was worse than the Pac-12. I think with Clemson winning the national title and sort of their respectable bowl record, maybe they were better than the Pac-12. But top to bottom, there was just no. It was Clemson and the thirteen dwarfs. But they're in the S, the ACC, and they look and act like an SEC program. Um, even Florida State, as great as they've been, or Miami or Virginia Tech or any of the other traditional schools in that league, Mike, none of them have a big 82,000-seat SEC-like stadium. FSU does at times, but they've been good for a while. 
and they would come close. You know, none of them are really located in, you know, these with these land-grant schools. I mean, Virginia Tech, you could make a, a point that Blacksburg is similar to that, which is why I think they're a cultural fit in the Southeastern Conference at some point. But it's a little different. State uni- it's basically the State University of Virginia, and it's a little different. It has a more of an ACC feel. Clemson, if you dropped an alien on – if you took an alien, Mike, and you took him to six different campuses in the SEC and or five different ones in Clemson, and then you ask him which one does not belong in the league, I don't think many aliens would say Clemson. Or even, I've done this before, by yeah, the way, because yeah. I have a good rapport with, with many aliens, and you're yeah. right. They could not tell the difference. Yeah, and, and so that's why that job was coveted. Now, here was the problem. They dropped the ball on facilities for a while. Tommy Bowden sounded like he was saying facilities whenever. He's like, we need facilities. And he preached that, and he was right. And at the same time, Dabo Swinney took over, uh, and they gave him the time and the resources to <clears throat> assemble a great coaching staff they started building facilities, and they're the nicest in college football. And, and, you know, we talk about recruiting. I've never seen a facility land a recruit, but I've seen that as being an entry point with elite recruits. You know, in other words, it's not a turnoff. The kid's still interested in you, and he gives you a chance to build that relationship and visit for games or whatever and, and ultimately um, – Pick your school. Um, so Clemson has made the investment uh, off the field uh, to raise their level of play on the field. And, and I do look. I don't. I hope Clemson fans don't get mad at me because they've certainly had a lot of success against SEC programs. But there's a difference between playing South Carolina and then either Auburn or A and M every year, and then oh, we'll wait to play Alabama at the end, and then going through the grind of an SEC schedule. Um, and the re- there's injury issues and, and just phys- the physical toll it takes. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not criticizing Clemson for that. I'm saying that's almost a positive, Mike, because by the end of the year, they're like, you know, healthy and ready to roll. And, and you don't worry about, well, heck, we got to go down to Baton Rouge, you know, this weekend, mm-hmm. you know, two weeks after playing whoever. So I think that um, that that makes that job even better because you have access. And and so I think I think all those things made that job great. And I think Dabo is the first coach they've really had that sat there and gone, all right, so here's why this is a great place, and here's what we're going to do to maximize it. I agree with all of that. And I, and I don't think Clemson has to apologize for playing in a weaker league. Um, you know, the whole, my conference is better than yours really doesn't matter when you're winning national titles. You know what I mean? So it's like, you you remember Bobby Bowden. I mean, he said it best. (laughs) Florida state had a chance to join the sec back in the early nineties. Florida state was an independent. It made a whole lot of sense to put FSU in the Southeastern conference at that time. Uh, and instead they joined the ACC and, and Bobby Bowden said, Oh, why would I want to go in the SEC? That's a, that's a dang on tough league to put it in uh, Bobby Bowden language. So I, I get it. Like there, Hey, it's the same reason why we talk about the SEC has no motivation or desire to go to a nine game conference schedule. This just in, it's working out pretty well, just playing eight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so if you're Clemson, you don't want to leave the ACC. You're top dog. 
you have surpassed FSU, and FSU's got some issues right now, and there's nobody else that seems even able in the near future to encroach on where Clemson is in that league. So you got a pretty good setup, and bottom line is if you go undefeated in a Power 5 conference that is not the Pac-12, you're in really good shape to go ahead and get in the playoff, which is still at four. Yeah. And Clemson has been doing that virtually every year. Yeah, and look, I mean, there are coaches that, that desire – I mean, people were wondering, you know, all right, so Dan Mullen, when South Carolina hired Will Muschamp, there was talk he was interested in the job. And people were like, well, Mississippi State's so much better than South Carolina right now. Why would he want to leave? Well, uh, and then people, you know, some people make little comments about Starkville or whatever. That That's not the case. It, it's that you look at what he did at Mississippi State in that division during the time where that division was top to bottom also. There was no Arkansas. Arkansas was good, okay? And then you looked at the East at the exact same time when, you know, McIlwain, um, who one of my friends is affectionately nicknamed the Swamp Donkey, and congratulations to him for getting a, the Eastern Michigan job. I think it's Eastern Michigan or Central Michigan, one of those. Um, he was winning divisions at Florida with a, a defense Will Muschamp built, but still, you know, they, they won two divisions. So if you're Mullen, you're sitting there going, good God, I need to get in that division. When Tennessee came open, Mullen was interested in the job. Of course, he took Florida because, you know, Chip Kelly and Scott Frost said, thanks, but no thanks. We're going elsewhere. And Florida is a better situation than Tennessee. Um, But that's not the only – my point is that's not the only coach that's looked and gone, man, the SEC East is where's that. Coaches look for that. They they, they don't – you know, they may sit there and say, oh, we love playing this bloodbath of a schedule. And, and I think Nick Saban does because he's advocating for 10 conference games or whatever because I think maybe he just gets bored. <laughs> hmm. But but most coaches are like, look, you know, we don't want to go someplace that hasn't been winning where the schedule's going to kick us in the teeth. And, and I, you know, people want to know part of what Tennessee's problem is, why Tennessee's had four winning seasons in 11. It's because of their schedule, because their year they play Alabama every season across across the way, and that's difficult. And then many years you have LSU or Auburn or good Mississippi State or Ole Miss or whoever rotate on. And then some genius at some point decided, hey, it's a good idea if we play a home and home with Oregon. Really? <laughs> on top of all that, it's a good idea if we play West Virginia over in Charlotte. Great, really? Let's go play Georgia Tech to open the season. Well, And now Georgia Tech, obviously, I think everybody wants to schedule them because there's no more option. But look, man, calm down. Don't sca- – and, and that's, that's their – so coaches look for that. It's like, you know, where can I win and, and how can I get my program to win enough games to where we have a chance – at a big bowl before they had the um, the playoff or to get in the playoff. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, you're not clamoring to go to the SEC West <laughs> or the Big Ten East, uh, you know. I think that uh, – and there's something to be said for that. And, you know, fans look at it like, oh, you know, with the, with the you know, the, the conference pride on their chest. <laughs> Coaches don't look at it that way. Uh, Dabo Swinney's thrilled to be in the ACC, no. believe me. Co- Coaches look at it as survival, yeah, and I and I think that's the underrated aspect of a lot of how desirable is a coaching job 
uh, yeah, you want to be in the best conference. Theoretically, you want the best facilities. You want the best players. You want tradition. But what every coach, when he sits down with his wife and he sits down with his agent and he's going over the, the pros and cons, he's wondering what job am I going to be able to last at the longest what, what job is going to enable me to be employed <laughs> the longest? Uh, now, when you're Nick Saban, you don't think of it that way because you already had so much cachet. You got a national championship in the bank with LSU. You had success in multiple spots. When you're Dabo Sweeney, you take whatever you can get. You've never even been a coordinator. Um, two entirely different paths, entirely different paths. But look, that's good. I, I, I don't want college football to get so stale that everybody's running the same playbook, uh, both in game and out of game, if you know what I mean. I, I, I think we, we need a little variety. Uh, and to circle back to the original point, uh, college football really could have used a better game, but short of that, they could use somebody other than Alabama winning. Now what they need next year, if you really want to take it a step further, uh, I don't think fans have an appetite for Alabama Clemson part four. This is not a Sylvester Stallone Rocky series where no matter how plain and predictable the script becomes, he's still going to make millions on it. Uh, you know, Rocky 27 with Ivan Drago in uh, a wheelchair and Rocky in depend undergarments is still going to somehow make money. Sylvester Stallone, give him credit. He's cracked the code on that. Uh, college football fans, though, they're not buying into that. They, they're, they're, there needs to be some fresh blood. There needs to be more competitive playoff matchups. And next year, that's that's obviously what everybody's hoping for. But you can't make that happen. It has to happen organically. There's no the biggest thing I got a kick out of this year was people uh, insinuating or downright stating that if we change the playoff structure, that'll somehow change the lack of competitive balance in college football. No, it won't. <laughs> this is not a this is not a playoff bracket problem. Mm-mm. And some would say it's not a problem at all, but what it is is a result of two programs that are just simply ahead of the others. It's not permanent. It's not set in stone. It's going to be that way for 10 years. In fact, I would predict it's not going to be that way in 10 years or even 5 years. One of these other programs, if not multiple, are going to step up. And maybe at some point Alabama and Clemson show they're a little bit more vulnerability. It doesn't seem that way now, but perhaps later. I, I do got to say this. For those that are trying to imply that Alabama, it slipped Nick Saban by, that Alabama now, the party's over, folks, uh, hold back, man. I mean, t- take, a, take a breath of fresh air. It's one beatdown in a national championship game. Alabama's not going anywhere. Okay, they're 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 just not. So if if that's your hope, you're going to be sadly disappointed because they're not having a a major fall from grace anytime soon. Well, and look, uh, you know, they they haven't really won back to back national titles a lot um, under Saban. You know, they they won it in 2015 or now I'm sorry. Yes, they won it in 2015, lost it in 2016, won it, almost lost it in 2017. And then uh, lost it this year, so that they're not really unbeatable in in title games, um, you know. And, and so I and I think it's almost good for Bama fans. I think because you know you want to talk about people that are bored. Um, and I do a radio show in, in Tuscaloosa every Thursday morning at eight thirty Eastern. If you guys want to listen on Tide one hundred two point nine FM, 
Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the it's funny because I'll, I'll, I'll pop in over there and the controversy of the week is usually like extremely benign. Like one day they were mad they scheduled Duke in Atlanta and it was just an outrage. You know, they're mad over the backup offensive tackle. I mean, and I think that sometimes Bama fans, and I've been to a lot of Bama games over the years, that they kind of sit there with, you know, people say the word entitled. They kind of sit there like they're um, entitled, you know. And uh, and I think sometimes when you, you feel entitled, you're not as hungry, and so it'll be net, a net positive. And I think, I think Nick Saban, in his heart of hearts, Actually, he's probably more fired up right now because he's got some coaching changes, and he and he's got to kind of fix this. You know, after he's won, he's like, "This just gives us a whole new set of problems that people don't realize." Well, now people realize, hey, that was not up to our standard, and he's going to use this whole off season and all of next season to fine tune and all that. I, I do think this is the most turmoil they've faced during his era. But I don't think that that's a bad thing because one thing Nick Saban does, he solves problems. That's his job. And so having more challenges, I think, keeps him going and will keep Alabama rolling right along. Yeah, I, I do think, you know, the attrition of coaches, the, the having other programs cherry pick your coordinators every year uh, and position coaches every year, that does finally take its toll, even to a juggernaut, even to a well-oiled machine like Alabama. Um, you know, again, we mentioned Brett Venables staying at Clemson. It doesn't look like he's ready to jump anytime soon. Nick Saban really hasn't had that luxury. And I think some people assume it's kind of like a Bill Belichick at New England. Yeah, we lost Cherry, uh, Charlie Weiss, Romeo Grinnell, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, X, Y, and Z, but it's still Bill Belichick. It's still Tom Brady. And so we're still going to play for Super Bowls every year. That kind of attrition, I think, affects you more Obviously, you're not going to keep a starting quarterback more than four years. And uh, in the NFL, unlike college, you don't have to recruit. So when you're losing all those coaches, you know, obviously Alabama's still recruiting well. There's no doubt about that. But it's just a cumulative effect. And I, I think it I think it showed up on the field, quite frankly, in that game. That'd be my final opinion. Is that I, I don't think Nick was real happy with uh, some of the play calling and some of what he got out of his staff. And I think he's... To, to go back to your point, I think he's more fired up now because he's ready to get more of his guys uh, that he'll feel a little bit better about. It does it does prove to you, uh, coordinators still matter. You can have a Hall of Fame coach, but you do need a little help on your staff. And, and I thought, top to bottom, Clemson's staff outcoached Alabama's staff. Uh, you mentioned some coaching changes we highlighted some of the bigger ones last week. Any any of the ones that stand out to you in terms of coordinators moving? I mean, Tennessee obviously making the most noise in this offseason with some of their moves. Yeah, you know, Tennessee's got uh, a new offensive coordinator taking Jim Chaney from Georgia. I thought that was interesting. Um, and, you know, we praised Jim Chaney all year. And I think Jim Chaney's good. And I don't know – what happened there? I do know he, he was at Tennessee under Lane Kiffin and then Derek Dooley and then went to Arkansas. I mean, he Tennessee is kind of a place where he's he's been for a while, and I think it makes sense for Jeremy Pruitt. All this talk about Tennessee's going to go hire Kendall Browse and Ricky Longo. Dude, look, let me just tell you this. It's going to take a dramatic departure of offensive philosophy, probably not only from Pruitt but also A.D. Philip Fulmer, 
for Tennessee to um, go run what what they ran at Ole Miss last year. I mean, that, that's just and they're not even recruiting for that. So they're getting good on the offensive line and good backs, and I just I just don't see it. Um, but Jim Chaney, you know what he does is kind of similar to David Cutcliffe, and and, and I think it kind of made a lot of sense for the Vols. Um, and then opens a, a door up at, at Georgia, and then Georgia's got, you know, both coordinators open and, and lost a lot of guys. So I thought that uh, – or had both coordinators open. Uh, a lot of uh, – you know, uh, uh, and, and I think those changes at Georgia to me, Mike, are more surprising than um, maybe the changes at Alabama because it's just uh, – it. Alabama has a lot of flux every year because guys go take head coaching jobs. But, you know, Georgia losing both coordinators. And, and I know Tucker, you know, went to take the Colorado job. But, um, you know, I, I think Cheney leaving was a surprise. James Coley, who was the OC at Miami and a former Florida State assistant, kind of a different style, more of a spread guy. Uh, he takes over the play calling duties at UGA. And I, and I think he's pretty good, you know, so – We'll see kind of how that shakes out. But that, that Tennessee thing getting Cheney, I, I don't know that there's a better fit. Um, I also was kind of – I had heard that he may not be at Georgia after this year yeah, um, and, and all that. And then, of course, uh, another smaller hire, I think it's going to be big in recruiting, is T. Martin uh, comes back from the West Coast and uh, is named to the football staff at Tennessee. Of course, he played for former – um, great guy. I've known him for years. Works worked his way up. I knew him when he was a part time high school assistant and coaching at the Nike camps in 2005. That's when I first met T. Martin. Of course, I was aware of who he was as a player, uh, and the guy's just worked his way up. And he's a fantastic human being. Great Tennessee volunteer, and uh, I always like to see people go home and doing well. So I, I think that was a big hire too. Yeah, and just one more thought on the Cheney one real quick in, in that I was in Athens last week and asked a, a couple of people uh, that I trust that know that program fairly well, and I said, what what do you make of the Cheney thing? And in both cases, I heard one simple thing. It's not as if Kirby Smart was terribly displeased uh, with John Cheney. However, it, Kirby, pretty much since Kirby got to Athens, what Kirby wants, Kirby gets. So if Kirby really wanted to hold on to John Chaney, I don't think he, they were going to lose him to Tennessee. You know, I, I, I just, if, if that was just a matter of, we love our offensive coordinator. Oh, Tennessee wants him too? Oh, we're, well, okay, we're just going to let them outbid us for him and uh we'll just move on our way i don't see that happening i i do think there was a little bit of dissension um uh, i certainly felt it from the fan base after every time georgia didn't do well on offense you know cheney was in the the line of fire but not, again that's fans being fans and that's twitter being twitter and message boards being message board like i get it that's that's not the true barometer of how your head coach feels but i i I just got the sense that if Kirby Smart was truly in love with the play calling and that whole setup, he might still be there. So take that for what it's worth. And, and and you know, look, he's a little different as far as um, what Georgia has historically been, which is an I formation. And James Coley, 
uh, is even more different because he was more of a spread type guy uh, at Miami. I mean, and and look, I I don't know that you could deny that Georgia was able to run the football well. Uh, I thought Fromm was a steady passer, you know, and and I look back through Cheney's career, um, even at Arkansas under Belima, where, you know, he obviously went more toward the ground game. You know, there's some creative play calls. I think he's good. I mean, I think I think in game, there are not many better uh, than Cheney. I think um, it may have just been a situation where, all right, go, and I'll use this opportunity to you know kind of move in another direction. But I, I think that uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see kind of how Georgia's offense schematically looks uh, next year because they do lose a hundred guys that call to combine 108 passes. Uh, with early draft declarations, uh, but they still have a stable of backs. And so it'll be interesting to kind of see uh, how it ends up uh, working out next year in Athens. Yeah, Tennessee getting uh, T. Martin back. All you need now is, you know, get get Peyton in a role, maybe get Peerless Price in there, uh, Travis Henry, uh, Jason Witten, get him out of the Monday Night Football booth. You know, and just just start uh, Dale Carter. Where's Dale Carter? What's he up to these days? Get get them all back in Knoxville. Get get you get you back to the glory days a little bit. Get you feeling a good about stuff. But as you mentioned, T. Martin's uh, a guy that's certainly going to help them in recruiting. Not to mention his experience over the years as an offensive play caller that can't hurt on a staff that continues uh, to be enhanced by Jeremy Pruitt. All right. As we uh, move forward, I want to read this real quick because I know this is still confusing people. We're now college football. It's not quite college basketball in the way of transfers, but it, it, you're going to see more and more of this each and every year and transfer talk. Really? That was one of the major storylines that dominated college football this year. Uh, prominent quarterbacks uh, transferring or threatening to transfer either in the middle of the season or at season's end. So you've heard this term transfer portal, leave it to the NCAA to come up with a term that, you know, just kind of makes you scratch your head and like, what the heck is that? I think some of us are still getting used to FBS and FCS. So here we go. Transfer portal is basically a rule that allows division one athletes to add their names to the transfer portal without permission from the program. Entering the NCAA transfer portal is a necessary first step for any athlete who wishes to transfer to another institution. Once an athlete decides to transfer and is added to the database, any coach can contact the athlete. The process is now in the hands of the athletes, whereas in the past, universities would block talented players from leaving. That's no longer permissible. Here's the rub. However, schools are now allowed to cancel the scholarships of players at the end of the semester in which they express their intent to transfer. So it's not like putting your name in the, in the draft pool for like, you know, the NBA. And then you realize nobody thinks you're worth a darn. Oh, okay, fine. I'm taking my name back out. I'm coming back for my uh, junior year. In this case, if you put your name in the transfer portal, the good news is, and there's something that should have been done a long time ago, a bitter coach can't block you from going to a certain school. Okay. That's done. However, uh, if all of a sudden you have a change of heart for whatever reason, or you realize that the market is not as high on you as you thought, uh, too bad. They got, they got the right to pull your scholarship. I think overall it does make sense despite the, uh, rather silly name for it. And of course you've already got Kelly Bryant transfer portal, Jalen hurts transfer portal, Ohio state's Tate Martell transfer portal, Oklahoma's 
Austin Kendall uh, transfer portal. This is going to be a, a rule that is going to be mainly about quarterbacks because, as we always talk about, you can only play one at a time. Justin Fields, of course, I should mention, uh, now going to Ohio State. So this is where we are in college football. You're probably going to have like a dozen quarterbacks every year, give or take, that decide to throw their name in the portal and decide to transfer to another school. I don't think there's any uh, harm in it, and I, I think at least now the rule's a little more defined and a little more fair to the college athlete. Yeah, I, I think so, too. The The problem I have with it is um, I, I think that you're giving a lot of folks, players, incentive to sort of um, – be kind of like college basketball and, and roll. And, and I'm not a big fan of that. I also think, and one of the problems is, uh, in my opinion, is that there's a, still a lot of like stuff like this connected with recruiting. Okay. Now, Justin Fields, obviously a very talented guy. Is he Trevor Lawrence? Was he Tua Tagai Viola? Not yet. Um, but all of a sudden he's the savior of the Ohio state football program. And he may very well be Mike. He may very well be. Um, but you have all this celebrity and, and uproar and, and look, I'm, and I know I report it and promote it and all that over somebody that hadn't done anything, but, uh, basically cussing to a camera saying he handed the ball off good as hell in a blowout game. Really hadn't done anything and a, and a failed fake, whatever, and, and wherever. So I mean, why are we, you know, if we're going to have free agents in college football, let's make them, you know, worth a darn. Jalen Hurts, worth it. Worth the hype. The guy's, what, 26-2 and as a starter. He saved the SEC championship game for Bama. He's played in big-time games. Is he an outstanding passer of the football? No, but he's, he's a hell of a football player. And if I'm a fan out there and I'm like, well, we can – we can get Jalen Hurts, uh, or we can get Justin Fields. Honest to God, I'm taking Hurts because, for me, if it's a transfer situation, it's just about next year. We have Tate Martell, who couldn't win the job at Ohio State and doesn't even compete for it when Fields gets there. He's 5'10", from Vegas. Bishop Gorman, great place. Don't don't get me wrong. Great players have come out of there, but you know not the stellar level of competition. Hadn't played a whole lot, and he rolls down and and goes to Miami, and everybody's saying Manny Diaz is saving the program because he's got a quarterback. Really? Don't be surprised if um, one of those other QBs down there, like Jaron Williams, beats him out, and he transfers again. He may set a record for transfers. Um. And so that's what kind of bothers me with it is is you got this transfer portal and, and the media is not supposed to really have access to it, but they do. Lots of people have it. And there's all this news and all these savers and it's almost like a subset of recruiting. And I don't think that's helped college basketball because what happens is guys that don't need to transfer, transfer. Because I, I think a lot of guys and – I don't know what's in Justin Fields and Tate Martell's heart, 
But a lot of guys love they, – they, they, they don't necessarily love playing football. They love the, the celebrity aspect of it. And it used to be guys would get in the NFL and bust because they would all of a sudden become celebrities and love the celebrity aspect of it, and they'd never develop and never could play on Sunday because they just, they, they, it was more important to be famous than to be good at football. And I think that with recruiting and social media, which has been a marriage made in the depths of hell, we have a lot of guys that, that, that have celebrity because it's not just the people reporting on it. It's not just being on ESPN. It's the 100,000 followers on Twitter. You have a tangible number there you can attach your celebrity to. And some of the, the, the hangers-on and the mentors and some parents that don't really know how to handle it, they're like, oh, that's your brand. That's worth something. You know how much my 50,000 follower Twitter, 50,000 50, followers on Twitter is worth, Mike? How much? Probably $1.25. <clears throat> And, and that's with inflation. And these kids don't really have that many, and half the fans call well, them racist names where they don't pick their schools and block them after that. But but in your mind, you're a celebrity. In your mind, you get addicted to that. And, you know, you, me and you get addicted to that. Everybody does. It's natural. But me and you aren't training year-round to play the sport of football at a high level. And, and I think when things go bad for some of these kids, and this is my final point on this, instead of saying, all right, I need to grow up and work, which is what college is all about, they go back to suckling on the mommy's teat of celebrity. And they're like, well, I'm going to have to do something to get out there. And, and I think that's a reflection of the society we're in. I mean, look at politics, you know. Well, what's, things are going wrong. Well, instead of fixing it, what I need to do is change the news cycle. And it's all fake and it doesn't matter. And I think it's never going to hurt the game. But I think it's going to hurt some guys that could play the game at the highest level and be great. It's going to keep them from becoming great. All right. You said a lot there. So let me just – I'll I'll put uh, – because we're running short on time. I'll just put ah. my, my two cents on a couple of things. I, I'm with you. It's bad in college basketball. Every kid that's taught – from age 15 on that he's ready to be a lottery pick in the NBA and doesn't play 25, 30 minutes uh, as a freshman or a sophomore decides, okay, I need to transfer. And it is rampant in basketball. I don't think we're heading there in football. I mean, I, I, I just look, if you're, if you're a running back, wide receiver, lineman, defensive back, let's say you're a good defensive back, but you're not as good as you thought you were. Well, maybe instead of a starting corner, you're a nickel. Right. You know, if you're if you thought you were this stud running back, well, now you become a third down specialist because you're too small or you can't tote the rock 25 get times a game. Uh, those things are going to be, I think, especially if we keep the one year sit out rule. And now that's the that's the wild card in all of this. But I, I don't think that's going to become an epidemic. In terms of quarterbacks, look, you can only play one at a time. Yeah, they're going to transfer. They're going to transfer under under any situation, whether it's a portal or not. You know, Justin Fields, I, I, I said this before, you had to know when you went to Georgia, the guy that just was there led them to a national title, uh, excuse me, national title game. Um, they were just going to bench Jake Fromm as a sophomore, so that's on him, but I have no problem with him transferring to Ohio State. I mean, because truth be told, he's not going to beat out Jake Fromm for the next two years. So you want to transfer? Go ahead and transfer. I think it's a, I think it's a cautionary tale 
to quarterbacks who are told just how good they are and that they can beat anybody once they arrive on campus, do a little more homework before you sign, do a little more homework. And if, if the number one reason you're going to that school, which let's face it, for most of these kids, it is, is the NFL and playing right away, then don't go to the school that already has an established quarterback who still has multiple years of eligibility remaining. That is a no brainer. The Kelly Bryant situation is obviously different. Uh, so they're not all, it's not a one size fits all situation, but, uh, look, I'm, I'm not going to lose any sleep about Ben Hicks going from SMU to Arkansas. I'm not going to lose any sleep about T uh, Sean Robinson, leaving TCU from Missouri, Jack Tuttle going from Utah to Indiana, Brandon Winbush from Notre Dame to UCS kind of uh, interesting for a number of reasons, but again, Notre Dame will be fine. They've got their quarterback. UCF needs, needs a quarterback. Uh, all is good in the world. Um, but, but we're going to see certainly a fair amount of this, and you're going to hear that term as a college football fan, and it sounds a lot more fancy than it really is. It's just like putting your name into an eligibility uh, pile to go ahead and transfer and to not have a coach try and, for lack of a better term, blackball you from going to a, a particular school and not signing your release. That was, that was something that should have been done away with, in my opinion, a long time ago. Um, I have no problem with having players sit out a year and that's the other thing is that players now are just finding ridiculous um, ways to circumvent that rule and get waivers and keep an eye on the Justin Field situation there because that's going to be very interesting when all that comes to uh, comes to roost. Okay, want to mention uh, BP Skinner Clothiers? It's the new year. What better way to bring in 2019 than to look your very best at BP Skinner? They think your look should be as unique as you are. Whether you're looking for a custom look or a consultant to help you build your wardrobe, their team at BP Skinner is there to help. Let them go ahead and customize your suits, your shirts, and everything else. And guess what? Let them come to you. Who the heck wants to go to a shopping mall or a chain store and have to deal with all that? And Brent Skinner will pack up his big old suitcases of stuff and he'll come to your house and you will make the decision right then and there. I know because I've done it multiple times. Let him do it for you. BP Skinner Clothiers has become an established name nationally now, and so has Brent Skinner. Go ahead, go to the website, set up an appointment, let Brent Skinner come to you. That's bpskinnerclothiers.com, B-P Skinner, S-K-I-N-N-E-R, clothiers.com. JC, some final thoughts. You know, I'm just uh, sort of looking forward to seeing how this recruiting cycle sort of uh, finishes up. Uh, Bama still has the number one class in the country and and you know i think next week mike with our next episode we're going to have kind of an idea about how nick saban uh is going to restructure his staff you know bringing steve sarkeesian back i thought was interesting um and i've heard from a lot of people the the changes we know about um and by the way i wish josh gaddis the best of luck as michigan's new offensive coordinator I, i i hope it works out and that's because i think josh is a great guy i've known him since he was at vandy but um just hope it works out. I'll just say that. Um, uh, because, I mean, you're the guy that's working for the guy, you know, and, and that's always difficult. But uh, I think that, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to be interesting to see if, if, if Saban gets the band back together, um, so to speak, or if he gets some, some other new blood. I, I think he's probably a little sick of losing coaches by now. 
um, every year. And so I wouldn't be surprised if some guys that were with him um, before come back and stay a little longer uh, as far as that goes. But uh, that's just something I'm keeping an eye on. I, I am looking to see what the future holds for Tosh Lupoy. Uh, the defensive coordinator, quote-unquote, down there. I, I don't know how much of the defense he called down the stretch. Um, Pete Golding, of course, is a kind of a rising star on that staff. Uh, just kind of looking forward to seeing you know, the receivers coach. We're talking about hiring a guy from the Panthers of the NFL. I, I'm just looking forward to kind of seeing what um, what the future, the immediate future holds uh, for Nick Saban in terms of his coaching staff at Alabama because, uh, you know, I think he's had some good coaches for an awful long time. They've kind of kept it rolling. But, you know, if you ever look at kind of what the, the downfall of Urban Meyer was at Florida, was they had that run where they won those two championships. And then he – and he's mentioned this before. He hired a bunch of guys – a bunch of guys that were with him for a long time left, Mullen to Mississippi State, et cetera. Uh, and then he hired some guys he wasn't familiar with, and the bottom dropped out. Now, obviously, we have enough of a sample size to know that's not going to happen at Bama. But I do think that having to re-familiarize yourself with your staff every year, especially with recruiting and, and coaching and things like that, um, can wear on you. So I'm looking at that really hard. And, and thank God we have something about Alabama that's not, oh, they won, to talk about. <laughs> Well, and yeah, which, which, which brings us back to the, the very top of the broadcast, you know, we, and let me just remind everybody, the season is over. The off season is just beginning and we are not going anywhere because what we have discovered the last couple of years that, uh, we still have a large retention rate. Uh, so many of you that still want your college football fix in the off season, really college football has become kind of a 12 month of the, out of the year sport. So we'll, We'll be uh, doing this podcast uh, throughout the offseason. Don't uh, worry about that because I've already gotten a couple of those questions on Twitter. But uh, I, I think what's going to be an interesting storyline throughout this offseason is given what we already know, which is Alabama and Clemson aren't going anywhere. So stop waiting for them to drop and start figuring out who is going to climb the ladder. And I don't know if we're going to be able to pinpoint that. There's guys in Vegas that probably have odds on that. Um, but I'm very curious to see, and that's something we can get into next week as well Is you know, who are the top candidates to start getting in the ring? You know, uh, Texas beating Georgia in a bowl game and getting 10 wins. That was big. Dan Mullen getting 10 wins at Florida. That was big. I still think Jim Harbaugh's best days are ahead of him at Michigan. That will be big. Ohio State, Urban Meyer is a loss, but I think that program's in good hands. At some point, you would think Southern Cal has to get better. Um, Oregon, certainly with Mario Cristobal. Okay, basically ruining all of next week's podcast. Yeah, I'm shut yeah. up. I mean, so I, you get it. You get the idea. I'm going to say this, though. <laughs> Beware of the Big 12 team that goes and upsets a big SEC team in the Sugar Bowl. The Sooners... Beat the Crimson Tide 45-31. I believe the next year, the 2014 season, they were ranked pretty high, top five. Finished eight and five, brother. Eight and five, five and four in the Big 12. But don't you believe Texas is more prepared? I, there's more inherent advantages. I know this doesn't seem like it because it hasn't been this way for about 10 years. But Texas is more equipped to be a consistent national power than Oklahoma. They're both capable of doing it. This is not a knock on Oklahoma. But Texas does have some advantages, quite frankly, that no other school 
in the Big 12 or even in the country has. Financially, facilities, recruiting base. There, there's no reason Texas can't be a team that we can continually see fighting for a national championship under Tom Herman. I'm with you, Mike, but here, here's the thing with Tom Herman that he has to do. And this happened at Houston, you know, that they went, what, 13-1 and one, um, that one year and uh, ended up just, you know, playing, blowing everybody away. And then they lost at Connecticut in November. All right? So 13-1, and one, lost to Connecticut in November. Then the next year, I mean, the Cougs, man, rolling. Beat Oklahoma in the dang uh, – Opener uh, down there in Houston. I mean, just really we're killing it. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're looking up and, and they get beat by SMU. I mean, and that, that's that's one thing like with uh, with Chad Morris, why I thought he was a an excellent coach because SMU didn't even have half the talent they did. So, I mean, look, I, I got you. That, I understand that, that, the skepticism. No, that's the thing. No, and I'm a big Tom Herman fan. I thought he was absolutely the guy he should hire. I mean, I, there was no question about it. But you look at his career so far, and for every holy crap, look at what his team did in this big moment, and he does handle big moments better than just about any other coach in the country. And he, as an OC at Ohio State, you remember they won it all that year. He, he, did, the, he did the same thing. I think he's great at that. He's got to avoid going to Stillwater and losing. Yeah, there's no question. But, I mean, look, we can we can point back at, if you go back to Nick Saban, for that matter, at Michigan State, um, it wasn't all peaches and cream in Baton Rouge before the national title. Hell, I remember listening to a post-game show after a loss they had, and they wanted to ride his ass out of town. We don't want that uh, Saban down here. This Saban guy, he's not, he not an LSU guy. He don't know what he's doing. Go Tigers. Uh, but, you know, one of the reasons – one of the reasons why I Texas will be one of my favorites is the same reason what you talked about with Clemson and the, it's because they play in a league that other than Oklahoma, occasionally TCU, occasionally West Virginia, although who knows what's going to be West Virginia football now with a coaching change and no more Heisman trophy, at quarterback, um, you know, Oklahoma state is kind of just firmly in that second tier. I, I think the big 12 is ripe. And at some point, they will solve uh, the Oklahoma mystery. And I think Texas has good, a good chance to be a dominating player. All right. We've got to dominate our way out of here because we're over time. Uh, JC, we'll do it again next week. Always fun, man. Yes, brother. Uh, looking forward to doing it. And we'll uh, holler at you soon. Sounds good. For J.C. Sherbert, Mike Morgan saying so long. Thanks again for making us part of your weekly listening pleasure here on the J.C. and Morgan podcast. We'll talk soon. Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. 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 An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space Space. Space. to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped boat neck sweaters. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha, through October 13th. The Container Store, where space comes from.